may be seated. If you would please turn in your copy of God's Holy Word to the book of 1 Timothy, continuing to go through our morning sermon series through the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And this morning we find ourselves in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 through 13. So with that, please give attention now to the reading of God's holy, inspired, infallible, and life-giving word. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons uh, each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Would you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? Our Father in heaven, we come this day to bow before our great servant, King Jesus Christ, and how we praise you and thank you that you, O Christ, have delivered your hands and your feet to the flock now as you are seated in heavenly places through the deacons of your church, through the servants uh, that are ordained specifically uh, to meet the poor in their times of help and in their times of need. Father, I pray that this morning as we look at these qualifications for deacons that we would find a newfound respect uh, for the office of a deacon and that we would see that it is an honorable and high calling. This we pray and we ask in the strong name of our great suffering servant, King Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we look at the qualification of a deacon. Uh, last week, you recall, we looked at the qualifications of the elder in the church. There we noted uh, that the elders are the leaders within the church. Uh, they are overseers, as Paul will call them in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 3. That word overseers we noted last week is the Greek word episkopos, or the word bishop, and the word presbyteros, the Greek word presbyteros is the English word elder. And they, as we noted last week, are two titles of the same office, episkopos, presbyteros, of the same office, the leaders within the church who we call elders. Uh, we see Paul will use those two terms interchangeably in Acts 20 and his address to the Ephesian elders and also in his elder qualifications in Titus 1. So the leaders in the church are the presbyters. They are the elders who are to oversee the flock and shepherd the people of God. And one of the things that we didn't mention last week is the fact that the elder qualifications in chapter 3, verse 1 through 7, 
comes right on the heels of chapter 2, verse 8 through 15. There at the end of chapter 2, Paul stresses that women are not to teach in an authoritative way within the church. Uh, that role belongs to men, uh, given the creation order with Adam being created first and then Eve. As we saw in chapter 1, there have been false teachers that have infiltrated the church in uh, Ephesus that Timothy is in charge over. They've been uh, spinning out these endless genealogies and myths concerning the law of God. And it could be that some of these false teachers were women, essentially coming into the church and speaking in authoritative ways. Or perhaps these false teachers are teaching uh, that the created order is no longer binding for the church now that Christ has come, and thus, therefore, women could speak or teach in an authoritative way within the public worship of God's people. Either way, Paul stresses that men are to be teachers within the public worship of God's people. And then he sort of seamlessly moves into the office that is responsible for that authoritative teaching. It's not just any man that is called to teach with authority within the church, but a man who is above reproach and who is able to teach. Though there are many roles for the elder, the one role that we tend to emphasize when we use it in comparison to the deacon is that of teaching and preaching. The elder's ministry is a word-based ministry, a teaching and preaching ministry, whereas the diaconate is a service-based ministry. The English word deacon is the Greek word diakonos, which simply means servant, simply means servant. Our book of church order, the PCA book of church order, says this of a deacon. The office is one of sympathy and service after the example of the Lord Jesus. It expresses also the communion of saints, especially in their helping one another in a time of need. So the deacon's work is a work primarily of sympathy and service. Deacons are ordained servants. They are ordained deacons. And what I want us to consider this morning is that deacons are called to be first merciful servants, second honorable servants, and third spiritual servants. Merciful servants, honorable servants, and spiritual servants. So first, merciful servants. Deacons are what we often call mercy ministers to the flock of Jesus Christ. And that is seen in the way they care for the poor within the congregation. However, this concept of the poor, as we look at it in the Bible, is much more broad than simply financially or materially poor. In his excellent book, The Deacon, Cornelius Van Dam lays out three different categories of the poor in Israel that the Lord called for the people to care for in the Old Testament. First, there is the materially poor, the materially poor. These are people that lack the basic necessities of life, food, drink, and water. These people the Lord called Israel 
to help and to provide for. Just think of the Lord's prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. It is the deacon's role to make sure the members of the church have their daily bread, have their basic necessities of life met. In fact, we would say part of the means by which God answers that request, give us this day our daily bread, especially for the poor in the church, is through his ordination of deacons. So we have the materially poor, those who lack the basic necessities of life. The deacon is to care for and provide for. Second, the powerless. The powerless. Uh, these are people that have experienced a sharp reduction or loss uh, of their prosperity and social status, or perhaps they have become physically or psychologically impaired. Uh, we see an example of deacons helping the powerless in Acts chapter 6, where really we get the first installation and ordination of deacons within the New Covenant Church. There in Acts chapter 6, uh, the Hellenistic Jews, basically that just means Greek-speaking Jews, uh, complained that their widows were not being taken care of. Uh, they were being neglected in what was called the daily distribution. And that daily distribution was basically an offering that was specifically for the needy, for the poor within the church. And the 12 disciples gathered the church together to choose seven men who would care for the widows. And the apostles laid their hands on these men, thus making them uh, the first ordained deacons. And so the installation of the diaconal service was based on a situation where the powerless needed help. The powerless needed help. Widows in the first century were powerless. Uh, the husband was the financial provider within the home. A widow's financial and social status would be placed in serious jeopardy once her husband died. And deacons are those who are called to take care of such powerless people. Now, it is because deacons were called to help uh, women such as widows, and much of their work was concerned with women and females, uh, that Paul provides a note in the deacon qualifications of how a wife of a deacon is to carry herself. Note that he gives the, the characteristics that a wife of a deacon is to have. And the reason he uh, implements this here is because it was often improper for a man to engage a woman in particular circumstances, especially in intimate settings. Uh, so the wives would often serve as assistants to the deacons, especially in situations that involved women. The wife would often extend the diaconal service. So the reason you don't have any mention of the characteristics of elders' wives in verses 1 through 7 is because the elders' primary responsibility was the authoritative teaching of God's word, which Paul makes clear at the end of chapter 2 falls on the men within the church. So the wives would not have a close connection with the primary tasks of the elder. But with the deacon, the wife often played an important role 
in his ministry as the deacon was called to care for the poor, the powerless, and the afflicted, both men and women. And oftentimes the wives would carry out that diaconal service for the women. So we see the materially poor. We see the powerless. And third and finally, the afflicted. The afflicted. These are people uh, who are mistreated and oppressed. Mistreated and oppressed. Oftentimes this was people who were oppressed by the rich and powerful. Many times within Israel it was wives being oppressed by their husbands people that are victims of cold contemptuous humiliating treatment from others in a more powerful position than theirs they are to be cared for and that role falls on the deacon now of course we know that christ calls all christians every single one of us in this room man and women boy and girl to love and to care for the poor, the powerless, and the afflicted. That is a duty of every Christian. But the deacons are to be the face of the church's mercy ministry. And as such, they are to set an example for the flock to follow. The deacons are to encourage the whole body to engage in the work that every Christian is called to, caring for the poor, the powerless, and the afflicted. Now we see here that the means, the primary means by which the deacon encourages the flock is not through teaching. It's not a teaching ministry. Take note, though there is a lot of similarities between the qualifications of a deacon and an elder, uh, we see that being able to teach is not one of the qualifications for a deacon. So the encouragement from a deacon is not coming primarily through a teaching ministry it is rather to come through first their example that they set as they themselves care for the needy and second through their delegation of responsibilities to others within the congregation when certain needs arise in other words it is not the deacon's role to be the only hands and feet of mercy within the church while the rest of the flock just simply stands back and watches. Rather, they are to encourage the hands and the feet of the whole body to move toward the poor, the powerless, and the afflicted. So we see that they are merciful servants. They serve as an example to the flock as they care for the needy and as they delegate responsibilities to the whole body, encouraging all of us to do our Christian duty, to love the poor, the powerless, and the afflicted. Second, the deacons are honorable servants. They are honorable servants. Verse 8, deacons likewise must be dignified. That word for dignified there means worthy of respect worthy of honor deacons are honorable men in fact notice what it is that paul says the very first two words of this passage deacons likewise it seems that what paul is doing is he is connecting the very high standards of an elder leaders in the church to the deacon deacons likewise are to display these high 
honorable characteristics that the elder is to display in verse 1 through 7. Did you notice the similarity in qualifications between the two? Outside of being able to teach, the deacon qualifications is almost a replica of the elder qualifications. In Philippians 1, when Paul is addressing the church there in the introduction of that letter, he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. He is linking those two offices together as they serve together the body of Christ. For Paul, the deacons don't play second fiddle to the elders. The deacons do not serve the elders. Yes, they are called to submit to the elders and their authority as the whole body is, but they serve with the elder. They serve alongside the elder as they both together serve the head and master of the church, Jesus Christ. Think about it for a moment. How do we often boil down the Christian life? Don't we often say the Christian life is based on word and deed ministry? Well, what do you have with the two ordained offices within the church, but an example for the flock? of word and deed ministry, the word being represented by the elders and the deeds being represented by the deacons. Think for a moment of what we saw a couple weeks ago when we spoke about the distinctive roles of men and women, a man carrying out his distinctive role as a man on his own cannot bear fully the image of God. A woman carrying out her distinctive role on her own cannot bear fully the image of God. It is only when both of them are being faithful to their distinctive roles that they complement one another, they complement that full image of God and magnify it. Well, so also we could say with the deacon and the elder, when the elders and the deacons are faithfully serving in their positions, they exemplify to the body what every Christian is called to, a word, and deed ministry. Take note of verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, verse 13, there is some dispute as to exactly what Paul is referring to here, but many take the position that this actually refers to the future when Christ will come in his second coming and judge the living and the dead. And the deacons who serve well will gain a good standing in that judgment. A major reason for taking this position is because the word serve there is written as though it's a completed action, as though the service is past and has already been completed and rendered. Think of the words of Jesus. In Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46, where he will speak of his final judgment. And those people on his left will be condemned, and those on his right will be commended and inherit the kingdom of God. And why will they inherit the kingdom of God? For when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. 
When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. What is it that Christ will commend when he comes again? It is diaconal type service. It is deacon-like work. And so the deacon gains a good standing in being ordained to a position that is focused on doing the very things that the Lord will commend when he comes again. What is it that Christ is often called in the book of Isaiah? In Isaiah 42, 49, 50, 52, and 53, not a suffering pastor, not a suffering shepherd, not a suffering elder, a suffering servant, a suffering deacon. The deacon is called to be the hands and the feet of our suffering servant king. Jesus Christ, what a high and honorable calling. Third and finally, spiritual servants. Deacons are to be spiritual servants. As has already been mentioned, one of the stark differences between the qualifications of the elder and the deacon is that the elder must be able to teach while a qualification is missing for the deacon. However, take note that that doesn't mean that the deacon is not to have a firm grasp on the gospel. Verse 9, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now that word mystery, Greek musterion, is one of Paul's favorites throughout his uh, epistles. And it is a common word for Paul that often uh, carries with it the entire revealed content of the gospel and God's plan of redemption that finds its fruition in Jesus Christ. To hold it with a clear conscience means to have a firm and mature grasp of that redemptive plan that finds its fruition in Christ, both in what the deacon understands, his knowledge, and the way he lives out his life in accordance with that revealed truth. The deacons are not glorified maintenance crew. They're not simply called to patch up the holes in the ceiling, as happy as we are that they are there to do that. They are to be spiritually mature men who have a firm grasp on the gospel. As deacons move toward the people in the congregation who are in need, they are not simply giving charitable donations. They are giving to the hurting people none other than Christ himself. And say they are to know him inside and out. It is a spiritual service. They are the hands and feet of Christ. That is the reason right now our potential deacons, our potential deacon officers are going through the same training that our potential elder officer is going through. Because though they are not called to teach, they are called to know the doctrines of the faith and to know it well, to have a firm grasp 
on it so that as they feed the hungry with physical bread, they might be able to feed the hungry with that bread that comes down from heaven. Even Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, I recently had a conversation with a man that I found out was in the PCA, and as I was talking to this man, I started to become very impressed with his knowledge of the Bible, his knowledge of Christ, and his firm grasp and understanding of the church and its function. And I said to him, I said, are you an elder in the church? He said, no, I'm a deacon. Well, what was the mistake that I had made? As I listened to this man, all I had swimming through my head was verses 1 through 7 of chapter 3, and I had forgotten verses 8 through 13. What I should have said to this man was, are you a church officer? Are you an elder or a deacon? Because you are a spiritually mature man. Brothers and sisters, praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ, the chief and head of the church, who gives the body spiritually mature elders and deacons in order to serve him as they serve us, the flock, in both word and in deed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are a good God. Our Lord Jesus Christ, you are a good God that gives us what we need, even in the ordained offices, officers of this church, as you give to us elders whose responsibility is to deliver your word week after week, and as you give to us deacons who are called to be the hands and the feet of our merciful, suffering servant, King Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we as a church uh, would see the deacons as honorable men, as men that have been called to a high calling, that we would seek to encourage them in their work as they are called to do this very important task of being mercy ministers in your church. And I pray for your deacons here at this church, uh, that they would be encouraged to know that they have been called to a position uh, to do deeds that will be commended when Christ comes again, to be an example to the flock, to all of us who are called to care for the powerless, the afflicted, and to the poor. And might we seek to help out our deacons here at this church as they carry out this all-important service as we serve our Lord and our King, Jesus Christ. Do this, we pray, for we ask it in his strong name. Amen. I invite you to stand for our closing.